Hello and welcome to another episode of the Daily Remedy Podcast. Today we're here with Mr. Omar Khatib. He's an innovator in the field where tradition reigns. Starting as a medical device rep, Mr. Khatib has carved a niche as a thought leader in the space of medical device sales. He advocates for social media and medical device sales processes and has a track record to prove it. He's the host of two podcasts, The State of MedTech and MindLoom, and he's an active presence on social media, particularly LinkedIn. And with that, I'd like to welcome Mr. Khatib. Jay, thank you so much for having me on the show. Of course. So let's jump right into it. Medical device sales is a notoriously rigid industry. It seems like social media may not exactly fit within the traditional sales paradigm outside of the generic platitudes, but you see it differently. Why do you see social media as an asset to converting sales in the medical device world? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I mean, mainly because social media has become an asset in converting uh, behavior and everything else, you know, uh, buying behaviors, our political views, um, everything. And so, you know, when a doctor or nurse or hospital administrator uh, goes into work, they don't put their white coat on or their scrubs on and be, turn into a different person. It's the same person, you know? And so the buying behaviors that have been formed over the last 10 years from um, things like Amazon or Instagram, you know, those buying behaviors translate directly to the B2B world or business to business world, because the people who are making these enterprise decisions, they're all consumers as well. So there's no such thing as separation. It's interesting. And I want to get more into the details on that. We know physicians are influenced by social media as much as social media influences physicians. Uh, but in terms of the actual sales process, we know that there are end users, whether it's the physicians, patients, nurses. We know there's a value proposition. And within that world, there's a whole kind of shadowy play of financial players, clinical players. Talk a little bit more granularly about how the social media influence affects that behavior of purchasing devices. Yeah, I think the best way to think about it is, um, you know, before you have a meeting with somebody, right, it helps to have context before that meeting, before you even talk to somebody. Um, Robert, Robert Cialdini, who's uh, one of the foremost uh, uh, leaders in uh, consumer psychology, he's the one who wrote the book Influence, developed a whole um, framework around uh, how, how persuasion works, uh, wrote a book called Persuasion, which is the events that happen prior to the moment of persuasion. Right. And so whether you're selling a medical device or let's say fundraising for your company, um, if the person you're trying to persuade has consumed content before that meeting, has learned a little bit about you, about the company, about the product, you know, it allows for better context, you know, and for time to elapse for the brain and the mind actually to put these things together and understand them versus kind of starting everything from scratch. I think this is one of the biggest problems that uh, you see in sales, which is a salesperson gets on a sales call, right? And if you're on a sales call, like you're selling, you're, you're pitching a product, you're using sales tactics and the, the best sales processes are not, you know, focused on sales calls. They're focused on closing calls, meaning that the sale or the persuasion happened before the call. So a perfect example for me, um, for my company, I, I have a, a sales training call, program called the Medical Sales Network Effects Program, right? I've done over 98, 99 calls now uh, in the wow. last few months. Yeah. 
all those calls are closing calls. I don't get on those calls to sell because the selling has happened prior to those calls when the person who booked the call uh, consumed content, whether they watch my webinar, they read my articles, they've consumed some level of content before actually booking that call, you know? That's interesting. Now let's take that into the complex world of medical device sales with all the different pieces, with their all host of just incentives into changing the behavior of what is an inflection point that social media would have that can lead to the greatest change? Do you want that pre-sale, that exposure to be directed towards some of the more financially oriented folks or some of the more clinically oriented folks? Both, both because, um, you know, people like to think that the concept of ob objectivity and facts actually exist, but we're persuaded by things that are not facts or objective truth. I mean, people want to debate me on that. I mean, look at COVID, you know, what happened during COVID, right? Yep. I'm not saying one, one way was better than the other, but I mean, there's all kinds of quote unquote facts and statistics, but we still had a lot of uh, debate and, uh, um, you know, argument as to like what's true and what's not. Right. And so I think when it comes to these things, like uh, I would even say the people who are quote unquote, more data driven, more objectively driven. I mean, you know, sometimes they're, they're actually a lot more, uh, more easily to be persuaded, you know? It's interesting because you can make the numbers say anything you want. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what's, that's what's, you know, the old joke in, in, uh, in stats or for statisticians is like, it's like, oh, we want to, um, you know, we want to do an analysis on this, on this data. It's like, okay, what do you want the data to say? Yeah. Right. I mean, particularly when you're creating policy and observational studies, but that's a, that's another argument for another time. I, yeah. I, I think when you look at medical devices, you see clear trends that were affected by the pandemic, uh, which you alluded to. And one of those is a whole host of new buzzwords, right? The big one is omni-channel, where they kind of take this comprehensive approach to sales as though it was never really there in the first place. Um, talk a little bit about new trends that you're seeing and what trends will actually materialize and what will kind of die off in buzzword soup. Uh, yeah. So trends, trends that came up, I mean, you know, uh, I can't help, but like just knock on certain things, but like, you know, in the last 10 years, like, you know, I've gone and spoken at different conferences for med device and the pharma and biotech world. And this like word of omni channel gets thrown around, like as, <laughs> as if it's like the hottest thing. It just like, that's just marketing. Like, I don't know. I don't know what, like who came up with this concept, but it's just like, that's, that's what marketing is. You have to, you know, you have to create different, different types of assets in different places because people are going to consume your message and interpret it, you know, in different ways. Right. Um, things that came up in the pandemic, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think, I don't know if I can think of anything that's going to die off. Um, but I would say, I mean, look, I, I would say uh, interest-based search is probably one big thing. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, if you look at, for example, like a, a channel like TikTok, TikTok hit $4 billion in revenue uh, fast, you know, faster than Google did. I think Google did that in like five or six years. TikTok was able to do that in, I think, four. Wow. And the reason why that is, is because uh, people today, when they go, let's say they go to Las Vegas, the old ways you go on Google and search like top restaurants in Las Vegas, and you get all kinds of garbage. You know, it's just like these 
sponsored lists and everything versus on TikTok, people will search that. And then they can see like a lot of like media rich content, right. About where they should go eat, you know? And so like um, finding ways to pop up and search like on platforms like TikTok even, or even Instagram, I think that's going to be uh, something that uh, companies have to start like looking at. Um, some other things is just, I, I would say is forget about med device for a second. When a when somebody in the in a B two B business world wants to talk to a salesperson, they'll let you know. Like it's very easy to get in touch. But before that point, they want to see, they want access to as much information as they want before they have to talk to a salesperson. And so, mm-hmm. making sure that you have that that information is available um, is extremely important. You know, for example, uh, look, let's take this back to the med device world. Met device world, uh, their demos, demos are really important. Well, you can't do an in-person demo anymore, yeah. right? So you have to do it online, right? Well, that also means that you shouldn't do it so that for a user to watch a demo, they have to book a, sa- a call on Zoom with a salesperson, right? Because sometimes, and I might have seen this in my own data, you might have somebody who comes across your content or your website or something. It's like Sunday at like 7 p.m., they want to see the demo then and there. They don't want to book time for it, right? So you have to make this content available for people. And at least in my my own data from from previous companies, this has uh, an effect of, of of accelerating what's called pipeline velocity. So the moment that a deal goes into a pipeline, how long does it take to go from start to close? You know, if you make it easy for somebody to learn about the product, watch a demo, you know, whenever they whenever's best for them. And then after that, they book like a five, a quick five, 10 minute call to, you know, to, to talk details that that's a lot more of an efficient process versus the old way, which is salesperson goes outbound to somebody. They finally get a hold of them. Then they try and book a phone call or a zoom that goes back and forth. They book it. It's like three weeks out. They have the zoom, you know, they do the demo and it's like, okay, we got to think about it. Then they go and, you know, a week or two goes by it's like okay well somebody else needs to see it okay that person versus just doing a recorded demo like the person watches it right then and there and then if they want to share it with somebody else in their department it's like hey uh, when you get a chance to watch this i'm you know thinking that we should you know adopt this technology it just makes a lot more sense no it doesn't i think that's the clear segue into how social media can optimize as you refer to that sales velocity and optimize those conversion rates because you're putting all of that out there so now all of a sudden it's not a week goes by, it's a, a share, it's a like, and then it converts now to the next decision maker within that whole pipeline within the healthcare system. So I, I like where you're coming with that. I want to push back on possibly an antiquated example, and I really want to get your feedback on this. Yeah, please do. Let's say we're referring to now the chief financial officer of health system XYZ. Uh, curmudgeon to the fullest degree, mm-hmm. doesn't like technology, but is good with numbers and has held that position for a while. Some of those people still exist in positions of power within healthcare, and they may in many ways not just be Luddite, but may be averse to some of these ways of thinking. W- what would you do in that situation? And have you in- even encountered anything like that? Yeah, no, those people definitely exist. You know, it, it, it just depends. And this is where um, 
this is where really understanding persuasion and psychology is important. And, and people say this all the time, by the way, they throw that term around. Oh, you got to understand psychology. Not a lot of people study that, nor do they actually have courses on it. This is why like in my own like sales course, like that was, that's actually the first module of lessons is like psychology and persuasion. So let's take this person, let's say it's a CFO of a hospital, just like you described, doesn't like new technology because just sees it as a cost and everything. What I would say is that there's principles of persuasion that no matter who you are, it's going to have an effect on you. So social proof is one of those things. A liking effect is one of those things. So if you're, if I'm a company, if I'm a salesperson, let's for example, and I know that I'm going to deal with this person, right? The first thing I would look at is I would say, okay, of our current customer base, is there a hospital with a CFO with our technology that's like this person, right? Can I get a testimonial from that person? Can I get, can I do some kind of case study, right? Um, the other thing is, you know, talk, you know, believe it or not, like talking to your customers actually gives you a lot of really good ideas. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, like, you know, these people are there, nobody asks them these questions, you know, try and develop a relationship with existing customers and say, Hey, can I, can I talk to your CFO just for a little bit? Right. And even salespeople, like, you know, once you get a deal through, go back to that same customer and try and like learn along the way, you know, a lot of times, believe it or not, um, either in my previous roles um, or existing roles right now, if I, if I talk to somebody, I'm able to persuade them to move forward, you know, on something. Depending on what the decision they make made is either right then and there, I will ask them. It's like, Hey, just give, just feedback for me. What made you make that decision? Right. Or I do it later on. So like right now for my course, for example, I, I get on the phone with somebody we talk about it and they decide usually right then and there. So I'll ask people like, what specifically persuaded you? Like what, what were the main things? Because then you start actually figuring that stuff out and then, and then learning what levers to deal with. So again, uh, with somebody who's like a CFO like this, they're going to want to see some numbers, right? Okay, great. What if you don't have numbers? Well, you got to figure out um, what's going to make up for that. So something qualitative, right? So it could be a CFO to another hospital sharing their, their, their insights into it. It could be um, sharing like why, uh, a CFO like them would invest in this, right? And there's other levers to pull, but but you have to sit down and map this out and not walk into these meetings blind, which a lot of salespeople do, which is like, oh, I'm going to go in this meeting, we're going to present, and then just see what questions they ask. It's a very stupid thing. Because if you sit if you sit down, like you could, you can map out and be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're going to ask us these three things. They're going to say something like, you know, like, what's the ROI of an investment like this? What's the economic model, right? You know, like, what are the costs? Of, like, they're going to ask these questions. So you should probably sit down. And again, this is not even the salesperson. I would say this is sales management or just management team that says, these guys, these guys and gals are going to get these questions asked. So here are the answers. But then here are the explanations, like, of how we move that forward. It's like, it's like what's the ROI of this? Well, you know what? We're, we're an early stage company. There is no ROI on this. But... This is one way to put a, a strong value wedge between yourself and let's say competitive hospitals. And you can use this to, let's say, convince a patient to decide to come and do the procedure at your hospital versus somebody else. Like you have to, you have to find ways to make it easy for somebody else to say yes, right? You can't, you can't expect like, for example, let's say we have the data. We have this data. You can't also expect to put it in front of somebody and expect them to do all the work in their head because yep. they might come to a different... One plus one does not equal two all the time, 
right? So you, you have to make sure that you, you, you translate this, like never, never give people intelligence that they've never earned, right? You should well never said. assume, you know? So that's, that's how I, I like to think about these things. I really like that quotation. Uh, another quotation I really like from you is uh, on your Instagram profile. Let me make sure I get this right. Oh, wow. You're great. You're great. You're a great host. You, you check my Instagram <laughs> profile. I'm impressed. You, you, are, you are a professional. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. I try. You write, think like a scientist, act like an artist. And I thought that was really interesting. And it kind of mirrors a little bit what you were getting at in terms of the interplay between helping guide a certain way of thinking that leads to a conclusion that's in your best interest. It's in many ways, the art of sale. Uh, talk a little bit about that quotation in the world of medical device sales. Like what prompted you to write that? Yeah, I, what prompted me to write that was, this was like, God, that's, it's very old, but it's a good quote. Like, uh, you know, it's very hard to find original stuff, but from my, at least from my searching, I think I'm the first person to say that. <laughs> so, just, so I'm pretty proud of that. But what made me, yeah, I should. What, what made me say that was many years ago when I was a young marketer, I kind of thought that that's really what embodies a great marketer, which is thinking like a scientist, right? Thinking it's, it's you know, when you think like a scientist, you're objective. You run experiments, you ask yourself, qualitatively and quantitatively like did this work did it make things better right you know and just kind of detaching yourself personally from things like that's what a real professional does the acting like an artist right is that you're going to do things that are going to fail you're going to do things that are not going to be for everybody right you're going to do things that um do require creativity and everything and they might blow up in your face but that doesn't mean you stop right and so being an artist uh uh demands a, a certain level of like courage and bravery. If you think about the mm -hmm. great artists, they do things that most people do not like, yeah. right? And that's what it means to be a great artist. I mean, like him or hate him, Kanye West is a great artist, right? I mean, aside from some of the political stuff he's got into <laughs> right now, but just from the art from the art side in terms of him as a designer, as a producer, as a rapper, right? It's a great example. So again, as a marketer, you got to think like an artist, uh, think like a scientist and, and act like an artist. If you translate that to sales, thinking like a scientist means you look at the deals that you have, or let's say that the deals from the previous quarter, and you say, okay, what deals did I say we're going to close this quarter? And what happened to them? Why did that happen? Where was I wrong? Like somewhere in there, you're going to find something in your mental framework and your, and your, your, your mental model of how things work, that something was off. Acting like an artist means just because something didn't work the first time, that doesn't mean you, you, you know, you should not try it again. Maybe yeah. try it a different way. Right. And so I think, you know, in, in the business world or anything in life, you're going to do things that people are going to have an issue with. I mean, my career has been like, uh, <laughs> the theme of my career is doing things that most people do not like, you know, but well, that's interesting because you have pretty high risk tolerance. That's unique in the medical <laughs> device world. And uh, I, yeah. I want to um, actually uh, cite something I listened to in one of your podcasts, I believe this was in the, um, the state of med tech where you had a podcast with the CEO of Stryker. Uh, first of all, which I recommend everyone oh, the listen to. Pre, uh, pre, former president of Striker. That former was Jim Heath. Yeah, yeah, that was Jim Heath. I'll get Kevin Lobo on next. Okay. Uh, that'll happen. <laughs> awesome. But you talk about the time you nearly got fired twice in two weeks. Uh, and it was interesting how you mentioned that as a almost badge of honor. 
And it kind of highlights a lot of what you had just mentioned, where you act like an artist, where you have this rebellion type contrarian streak in how you think that mistakes are not something to react against in the opposite direction, but rather to learn and analyze. Uh, talk about one, that example in more detail, because I think it's awesome. And then two, where this mindset came and how it built over time. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, uh, in terms of the the stories I was referring to, I don't know if I was exactly doing anything um, uh, particularly unique and thinking like, we're going to try something new and see if it works. No, it was literally like me being a young professional and I did some stupid things because I was just new, you know, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Fair so, enough. but yeah, but, but in terms of the, the highest tolerance, like what I would say, and again, a lot of this goes back to, to marketing, um, because again, I really believe like great marketing is in fact, it's like one of the few things that really is a, it's, it's, a, it's an art and a science. Mm. Okay. Um, but you know, it, if you're not having like one, in my opinion, one massive failure a week, like, I don't think you're trying hard enough. Like, you know, um, and, and I'll tell you like, uh, and I have to give like, uh, some pay some respects to like my, you know, friend and mentor from afar, uh, Scott Adams, who taught the, taught me this. And that is like one of the most powerful like skills you can develop in the world is to have, um, no shame for, um, failure or embarrassment. Like if you remove this, this feeling of like embarrassment, you'll, you'll, you'll do, you'll do anything and you'll do it more than once. And that's kind of like what it takes really to succeed. I mean, you know, if you want to extrapolate that into like a really like uh, like extreme example, I mean, how many times did like rockets blow up for SpaceX and how many times did Elon Musk humiliate himself with SpaceX? Like yeah. numerous times, but like the guy doesn't, he has like, he has a very high tolerance for like failure and embarrassment. Like he just doesn't care, you know? And I think that the more you start, and for me, I, I just, so people know, you know, I, uh, for majority of my life, I was hyper, hyper sensitive to like what people thought about me very, very easily embarrassed and everything. But then little by little, you start to realize like, oh, that didn't kill me. Okay. Right. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of what it takes to kind of keep going and to sort of pursue these projects and these companies and these endeavors, right. It's just tolerance to failure and tolerance to just like, ah, oh, that didn't work. All right. We'll try that again. You know? I look, I'll give you a great example. Perfect sure. example. This happened yesterday. Okay. So every week, uh, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, I do a live stream. Goes on YouTube, goes on LinkedIn. Link it's mainly for LinkedIn, right? And um, yesterday I go live and there's a good amount of people who who log on and they're watching. I have like, you know, the chair of orthopedic surgery was on. Actually, this is this is the person who who the Ira Kirschenbaum was the chair of orthopedic surgery at Bronx Care was the one who commented. I was live and then um, he commented, I can't see your photo. And yeah. I was like, what? And so I look at my desktop and I'm like, oh, like it's, it's fine there. And then I check my phone and something happened with my live stream where people can hear me, but on mobile, which is where most people are watching me, it's just a black screen. It was a black yeah. screen and it was just me talking. There's something wrong with the software. What did I do? Did I freak out? Did I, you know, you know, there's all kinds of things that could happen. What did I do? I just said to everybody, I'm like, Hey, everybody, so sorry. Seems like there's a technical issue. 
Um, I'm going to end the stream right now. And I'm going to just, we're going to try it again. I was like, let's just see what happens. I end the stream right there. Okay. So like at this point, like a minute or two has passed and everything. People, most people will be freaking out. Like, oh my God, it's so embarrassing. It's like, whatever. I get back on, figured out what it was. Five minutes, you know, I, I launch a new stream. I end up having like more people watching that one. That's right? awesome. and, and, and then, yeah. And then it's just like, I go on, to, I go on with the rest of my day. Do I get embarrassed about things? Absolutely. But like, you know, it happens. You know, that's a really great point you talk about where these emotions naturally flow. Having a high risk tolerance, recognizing shame for what it is and then quickly overcoming it. But there's a reason for those emotions. There's a reason for that pushback. So do you ever, do you ever look at failure or look at shame and say, hey, these emotions are here for the right reasons. Maybe I need to listen to them. Or is there a certain mechanism where you automatically self-evaluate? Talk through those emotions for us. Yeah, that's a great question. And look, for the for anybody who's listening to this who's like an entrepreneur or employee, whatever, if you want a great book, very short book on the idea of shame and resistance, uh, I recommend people look up the uh, um, War of Art by Steve Pressfield, not to be confused with The Art of War by Sun Tzu, which is another great book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, look shame shame is the great project killer right yeah. it's the thing that we've used to keep you know women in line we've used it to keep children in line and minorities in line like don't raise your hand uh don't talk up you should be ashamed of yourself like so that's been there for for millennia right and from an from an evolutionary standpoint it's there for survival too because if you're rejected by the tribe and by your peers it, you you die right yep. we're not we're not living in like caveman times anymore right and so today, like, obviously, I think there's a certain balance, like you can't, maybe it's not that I, I try and pay attention to shame, right? But uh, sometimes you do have to pay attention to what certain people might be giving you feedback on. And so I'm very selective. The one thing I would tell you is you should be very, very selective about that, like where you get advice, right? So for me, like for me as a, as a business owner, I don't take advice from, you know, and I've received it in over this past year from, as an example, the VP of sales of one company or the CEO of, of another company, because like, how do I say, I don't know how else to say this without coming off, coming off a little brash, but like, they're not at an income level where I care about their advice. Right. Mm -hmm. The people that like, for example, one of the guys who I took advice from like a couple of weeks ago, the guy, the guy, the guy's uh, got a company that's worth, you know, tens of millions of dollars that he built himself without getting venture, venture, venture money, right? I'm going to take his advice, yeah. right? Now, that's not the guy I'm taking advice for when it comes to my marriage. He's extremely yeah. successful, not taking, you know, so I think people have to also gauge like where that advice is coming from and where the shame's coming from, right? Yeah. So it just, it just, it really depends. And then again, like when you're, when you're doing something as radically different and new as I am, right. Most of that advice, most of the reaction is going, is not going to be helpful. Right. I mean, look, yeah. take me out of it. Let's look at the, one of the history's great examples of this. When Steve Jobs launched the iPad, I don't know about you, but do you remember how many people magazines including myself, made fun of him. 
They yeah. said how stupid this idea was of the iPad. It's just like, it's not, it's like, it's a larger iPhone, except it's not an iPhone. And it's kind of like a laptop, but it's not a laptop. It's like, what the hell do you do? With, like everybody made fun of it. Well, guess what? That became a standard. And here, yeah. here I am today in 2022, 10 years later from whenever they, I think they launched it 10 years ago. I remember I specific, I probably, I think I tweeted about it, even how stupid it was. Here I am sitting with an iPad on my desk, you know? So sometimes um, to, to really have vision is to, is to really reject the norm, right? So it I just like depends. No, no, that, that's beautifully said. And I think you have a unique perspective that goes much deeper than medical device sales. It's a fundamental way of thinking. And I see that in the state of med tech when you go deep into some of the conversations. You talk about the intersection of medicine, technology, and business. But now you have another podcast where you, called Mind Loom, where you talk about ideas, just raw ideas. It kind of alludes to what you had mentioned before about compartmentalizing certain concepts and integrating certain concepts. That's a fundamental skill that can be applied in many different facets. Talk to us about that skill and how you're learning to apply when to compartmentalize and when to integrate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and by the way, just I I want to touch on one thing about getting feedback. You know, I'm I allow myself to be exposed to certain feedback and everything, but I'm just very specific as to where I'm going to accept it. Perfect example. So just from last night's uh, live stream, uh, Ira Kirschenbaum, you know, the chair of orthopedic surgery, uh, you know, who I respect a lot, but again, does forget about respect. It depends on the advice. He sent me an email. He's like, you know, I really love the live stream. And he gave me like very specific uh, advice. He said, he's like, I got some constructive advice and I read it. And I was like, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm going to take that. You know, the advice he gave is like, you know, cause last night's talk was very theoretical. Mm -hmm. And so I covered some like big frameworks on technology adoption, and everything. The one thing I forgot is that as I went through every single segment, I should have had a very specific tangible example. And that was his mm -hmm. advice. I'm like, you know what? That's actually good advice. I'll take that. Um, so your your next question was about um, the the podcast Mind Limit, but about uh, taking different ideas like from yeah. different places. When to yeah. integrate and when to compartmentalize. Yeah. So just, I mean, for context, like Mind Loom, that's like an old, old thing. Like I, I started doing a, a book review a week, a video book review a week. And I did that for three years on LinkedIn. And then I took a break from it. Okay. Um, but I loved, I love that show. The, the show is still up on YouTube. It's got a lot of videos, you know? And so um, I decided to launch the podcast. I've had the podcast, but I, I made it official on LinkedIn because a lot of people didn't even realize I had this podcast. And, you know, if you go to the mind loom pocket, there, there's some like really insane interviews that I got. I got the former CRO from HubSpot, nice. um, the, uh, the author who published uh, the only book, uh, Naval Ravikant's uh, book like that, you know, so I've got some great, you know, uh, interviews, but I mainly brought that back just because like, that's like a, a passion project, like a hobby that I love, like talk, you know, speaking to authors and everything. But the reason, the whole concept of mind loom is loom, L-O-O-M is, is the machine that uses to weave together fabric. So my belief yeah. is if you read, broadly right you're able to take different ideas from different places and kind of weave them together right and yeah. come up with something new that's why you know for those who don't see it like i'm in my library so i have a lot of books behind me the best books let's just okay so marketing let's go back to marketing the books that made me the kind of marketer that i am today 
they, none of them were marketing books. Like the majority of them were actually books on history, psychology, right? I like so that. Lear- yeah. So learning how to read broad is very important. There's, there's plenty of business books that are, that are fantastic though, you know, but I think this idea of like, how do you read very broadly and bring um, different concepts together that, that gives you a lot of, um, uh, it, it makes you a very dynamic thinker, right? Um, like, uh, let's look at creativity. Not everybody's creative. I'm sorry. This is something people do. Not everybody's creative. Uh, not everybody is born creative. Like it is a skill. One of those ways to get creative, right, is to read very broadly and take ideas, you know, and, and, and put them together, right? One thing I tell people, like, if you really want to see how creative you are, do this for like 30 days. Every day, come up with 10 ideas every day and, and write them down and, and see how hard that is, right? it's not easy. Right. So I think, I think that's, that's a big focus about, about the, about my show mind loom. But again, like that's, um, I, if anything, that's kind of like my own take. If I had like a Joe, Joe Rogan esque podcast, it's, it's that show, you know, if I monetize it in the future, Hey, I'd, I'd love to do that. But that's like more of the, um, I guess my, my, my hobby show. <laughs> I'm with you on that. So then talk about, what you try to accomplish in integrating so many different facets of medical device sales in your podcast, the state of med tech. What's the idea behind that? Yeah, the state of med tech, um, the whole purpose of it, sales is part of it, but really it's it's what the show says. It's the state of med tech. So that means um, talking to leaders in the industry, um, investors, figuring out like what's, what's, what's the latest, you know? Um, and I think more importantly, um, I'm, I'm trying to be a historian and chronicle like these just legendary stories. Our, our, our industry has all kinds of stories from us surgical times, intuitive, like of what, what it took for them to drive adoption, right? Nobody knows these stories unless you're lucky enough to go to a conference and you're hanging out at the booth and like somebody who's been there, like starts sharing the story. So I try and chronicle those stories. Um, but you know, the show it's, it's really, um, if, if anything, it's a platform for me to talk to very interesting people and to bring those ideas like, and give them like a, a real platform. I mean, if you listen to uh, Jim Heath's interview, for example, right. For leadership, you know, that's an interview that probably, that may not ever happened ever, you know, because he's never been on a podcast. I don't think anybody thought of asking him to come on a podcast, right. <laughs> you know, so it, part part of it is that part of it is um, I'm going to be uh, doing more. Believe it or not, like the the which I was kind of surprised. Jim, I think Jim Heath's episode, the President Strikers, number one right now. But the second most streamed episode is an episode just me by myself talking through. Um, I think it was how to how to uh, maximize your time and productivity as a salesperson. So a lot of salespeople want me to do these like solo solo topics and just riff on them. So I might, I'll probably be doing more of that. No, I mean, it's certainly valuable. I think a lot of insight in what you provide creates a mindset that's needed for success more than just the tangible actions themselves. Uh, with the time we have remaining, can you let the audience know how they can get a hold of you and the best way to reach out to you? Yeah. Um, so best way to find me is just look up my name, O-M-A-R-M uh, as in Mary. Uh, Khatib, K-H-A-T-E-E-B. Um, you can just type that in on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, 
LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok, you'll find me. Um, and then go check out the show, The State of MedTech. You can find that on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, we have a newsletter. Um, that's the best way to, to, to find me. Um, my main, I mean, I, I engage with people across all those platforms, but um, my main one, of course, is LinkedIn. So if you're, you know, if you do send me a message, but I don't respond, please keep in mind, it's just because I'm getting blown up every day. <laughs> so I, there's a lot, I try, I do my best. I really do my best um, to, 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 to respond to people and talk, but those are the best way. I would say the, uh, the, the, the top way to engage me, you know, I put my content out there, you know, go, go comment and engage me in, in my posts. That's like the number one way that you can directly get a hold of me and get free advice. <laughs> no, well said. I appreciate it. And with that, Mr. Khatib, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Jay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.